Good morning, church. So glad you're here this morning. Psalm 150 says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his temple. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his strength. Praise him for his greatness. Praise him with trumpet blasts. Praise him with harps and lyres. Praise him with tambourines and dancing. Praise him with string instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So that's what we're going to do this morning is praise the Lord. Let's stand together. Feel free to worship um, as God directs you, as the Holy Spirit comes and, and ministers to you. We want to honor the Lord's name. He is alone, the one that is great and mighty. And so we want to honor him. It's not to ourselves, but to him. Take my place. That you would bear my. 
church a couple of announcements uh this morning uh first off just want to point out the beautiful flower over here to celebrate uh isabel jost and uh, i don't think she's here today but uh, uh congratulations again to, to brett and laura there is a baby shower for the ladies uh this saturday 10 a.m next saturday you come this saturday you're on your own next saturday the 28th 10 a.m uh, Alpha course has begun. We started last Wednesday. You're all invited to that. It's not too late to show up, bring a friend, uh, at least check it out, that kind of thing. Um, also want to let you know just that uh, Joni Powers is helping us out in the office for January. She's in there Monday, uh, Thursday, and Friday. And uh, we need some Wednesday night meals. Uh, last time I checked, Judy was the only one signed up, so we could use a few other people. Uh, I'm going to pray. We have a few other kind of health concerns. We'll, we'll go over those, though, during the prayer time. Um, but, yeah, let's uh, just have another word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship. God, this morning we, we come to you just as we are. Lord, with whatever's on our hearts, whether it be joy or sorrow, gladness or concern, Lord, we come before you. And, God, we want to worship you. Because you are beautiful, you are holy, you are glorious, and you are deserving of our praise. You are so beautiful, so fantastic. We love you, Lord. Amen.
you alone are worthy. We give all the honor and praise to you. Thank you, God, for our breath. Thank you for life. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for hope. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. a bit of time in prayer. A uh, couple health concerns. Um, many of you probably know Frida Gerson had uh, knee replacement surgery last Tuesday, uh, and I hear that went well. She is uh, back in town. Dean Jost is heading in for knee replacement surgery this Tuesday, so we want to be praying for, for Dean in that. Um, also, um, uh, Brad and Teresa's daughter, Kim, has been diagnosed with lymphoma cancer uh, within really this last week. Um, information changes on a rapid pace, um, but uh, it's in her left shoulder, left hip, uh, left knee, and the top of both femurs. And uh, because it's in so many locations, it's considered stage four, um, but they still feel though that there is a, an 80% chance of success. She'll begin uh, chemo here soon. So five to six months of chemo, uh, going into chemo, treatments every 21 days. Uh, currently, uh, she's still in Kansas City. So um, Brad is here this morning until after the service. So if you have questions or if you just want to pray for Brad uh, and their family, that kind of thing, um, he'll, he's here. Um, the other thing, too, uh, many of you know uh, Jessica Ewan and that she's been battling uh, colon cancer. Uh, that is now uh, a hospice situation. She is at home, and uh, really we're looking at a situation of any day now. And um, uh, so that's, that's a hard one, too. Lots of kids in that storyline as well. So let's, uh, let's spend a little bit of time in prayer. the words of the songs that we've just sang are so true. God, we pour out our hearts to you. Lord, we pray for Frida, for Dean. We thank you that Frida's surgery went well. We pray for Dean as he prepares for his surgery. God, we ask that you would bring him full healing and restoration and recovery for both of them. pray for healing, we speak healing over Kim's body in the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask for a miracle now, 
sense of your spirit, of your presence, so apt to disperse at our at a really coarse and bare and weird pace. And then as we pray this morning for Jessica, God, we continue to ask for a miracle and deep health and healing over her body in the name of Jesus and her, her healing. And Lord, again, pray for a strong sense of your comforting spirit both how to comfort and how to be the church in this world. And Lord, perhaps there are other situations that burden your heart this morning that, that aren't yet public. Lord, every week we show up with some joy, some suffering, some shame, some celebration. But God, we just invite you into all of that, whatever that is. We invite you into our hearts, into, into our here and now, into our celebration, into our joy, into our suffering. God, all of it needs you, needs your Holy Spirit. faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that those parts of your character remain steadfast. Number, hymn number 95 will be up on the screen as well. Please join with us. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. He is the mighty King. Name is one. 
gospel according to Mark. We're working through the, the book of Mark. We'll be going through this over the next couple months. Uh, I remember my Bible this week. If you were here last week, you probably forgot it. Um, today we're, we're going to focus in on, uh, on where Jesus calls the, the first disciples. I do, do want to explain, though, just a little bit of, of what's going on, though, beforehand. Uh, so we're still in Mark chapter 1. Mark goes very quickly into the ministry of Jesus. Mark wants you to see what it is that Jesus does, and then from that, draw your own conclusions about who this man is. Uh, and, so, and so Mark is really pretty quick and light uh, about the, the background and the history on this. Also remember that the audience that Mark was writing to was probably a, a, a group of Gentiles, and so they were not... You know, they didn't know all the history and all the prophecies and the lineage. And so that stuff just really doesn't carry a lot of weight with them. And so Mark really just kind of skims over that, skips over a lot of it. Um, He just kind of lays a quick foundation, covers the basics, and then really just dives into what it is that Jesus does so that you and I can can really kind of come to a conclusion, hey, who who is this guy? Um, Mark lays a foundation. He talks about John the Baptist. Uh, the role of John the Baptist was to prepare the way for Jesus by calling people to repentance. Um, so he, he is preparing them for the message that Jesus will share. Uh, so we get a few verses about John the Baptist. Uh, next we see that Jesus himself was baptized. And uh, baptism is not something you do to gain salvation, but rather it is something you do as a public proclamation. And so if Jesus was baptized, it's good for us to be baptized and He was baptized at age 30, so it's never too late for for anyone. So uh, Jesus undergoes baptism. He spends some time in in, in a desert. We know from other accounts it was about 40 days. He fasted, he prayed, he's tempted by Satan. He emerges um, stronger from that. Um, And then there's kind of this transition where the ministry of John the Baptist ends because John the Baptist is put in prison. And it actually then says that when, when that happened, then Jesus began his ministry. And so I don't, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not prepared to say like God put John the Baptist in prison. But there, there is kind of this very distinct transition that, that John the Baptist's public ministry ends. He goes into, into prison and then right away Jesus begins with his ministry because he is the Messiah and he has, uh, he has arrived. Um, In verse uh, 15, uh, well, actually, let me read 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, and the first thing that we hear Jesus saying, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Kingdom of God is one of those, like, topics that really brilliant people write really thick books on. Um, We're just going to cover it in like a couple of paragraphs uh, that is really a big thing and, and how people have understood the kingdom of God um, has shifted a little bit over the centuries. Uh, Tim Geddert is a professor at the, at the Mennonite University in Fresno and um, neat guy. He has a bit of a specialty in the book of Mark, has written a commentary that I found very helpful and, and, and I agree with him and, and trust his thoughts. But he points out that and especially really in, in, in the book of Mark, the kingdom of God is portrayed both as kind of this futuristic thing that will happen, but also something that is invading our current uh, environment, that, that part of it is kind of breaking into to our world. And so there's kind of this duality that, 
when Christ arrives, the kingdom of God begins to uh, uh, to break in or, or, or to invade. But there's also kind of this reference to heaven and the future and, and what will be. So there's, there's kind of this duality that, that is taking place with the kingdom of God. Um, the verses that I want to focus on then, uh, verses 16 to 20. Let me just read this to you. This, this is what we're going to focus in on today. Um, so Jesus is beginning his ministry. The first thing he does is to, fall, is to call a couple disciples. Verse 16, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets, and immediately he called to them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him, followed Jesus. Um, from other gospel accounts, it seems that this was not the first time that they had met Jesus. I mean, it'd be pretty remarkable if they were like, I've never seen that guy before, but he says, follow, I'm in. Uh, it does seem, though, that, that they knew each other beforehand, or at least that they had encountered one another beforehand. Um, all four of these men are really small business owners, and it seemed to be going well. I mean, with uh, James and John, I mean, their business was good enough that they had hired help, and uh, so they must have been somewhat successful. Um, but I still find it amazing that all four of these just walked away from everything and followed Jesus. And you see that word immediately used in that story. Mark loves the word immediately. He uses it quite often. But they, I mean, they left family, they left career, they left future career, they left hometown, they left familiarity. It's remarkable. But here's the thing. I, I think the call is still the same today. I, I think Jesus still asks us to give up everything. Now, for them what it meant was that they immediately walked away from a lot of things. I think for us, or for a lot of people, it's a little bit different in that we shift our mentality from owner to steward. When Jesus says, come follow me, and will you give up everything, we say yes. But, but, but for some people, right, like they leave everything. For other people, it's a shift in mentality. Where, where our future, our career, our belongings, our business, it, it goes more to like an open hand. And we say, all right, I used to own this car, but now God owns this car and I'm steward of it. I used to own this business, but now God owns this business and I'm steward of it. And so for some of us, we remain stewards of that business for 40 years. And maybe for some, only one or two years. And God says, all right, I want you to go do this now. And I want you to go do that now. That kind of thing. Matthew 13, verses 44, 45. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes, he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Time and time again, God's kingdom is described as something of indescribable value that people give up everything to acquire. You know, Simon, Andrew, James, John, you know, in that moment where they followed, like they had no idea what was before him. They, they, they have no idea that, 
that they would see water turn to wine, that they would see a paralytic healed, that they would see Lazarus, you know, raised from the dead, uh, that they would see 5,000 people fed on like some kid's lunchable, uh, that they would heal this demoniac man who was plagued with legion of demons, healed and, and set free. That they have no idea that this man who was wrongfully conv- convicted and they would swear their allegiance to him and then a few hours later they'd all run away. They had no idea that they would spend the rest of their lives sharing this message um, and that most of them would die martyrs. They didn't know any of that. All they had before them was an invitation to follow Jesus. And they did. Come follow me and I will make you. I love this verse. This is such a good verse. In the grammar, the emphasis is not actually on come. It's actually on follow. The invitation is to follow. He doesn't give them prerequisites. He doesn't tell them to clean up their life. He doesn't give them an entrance exam. You know, all he says is come be with me. Watch me. See how I do it. Mimic me. Spend time with me. Learn about my heart for this world. There's a fantastic video on YouTube that you should all watch called Leadership Lessons from a Dancing Guy. And in this short three-minute video, it's a, um, it looks like some kind of uh, concert, kind of an open-air situation. And some guys like video cam, video recording just like off his phone or camera. And there's just one guy who's just dancing all by himself. And like he's good, but I've never seen anyone dance like that before. Like he's kind of making up his, his own moves. But what is fascinating that in three minutes, he goes from all by himself, just kind of doing his own wonky thing, Three minutes later, there's over 100 people gathered around him, joining in on it. And, and the, the commentator is kind of di- dissecting this and, and talking th- through it. A- a- and I think the commentator really wisely discerns that it is actually the first few followers that transition this from just like crazy guy by himself to this awesome movement that everyone wants to be a part of. It is those first few followers. And he makes this statement in the video. He says, the best way to create a movement, if you really care, is to courageously follow and to show others how to follow. And that may be one of the best descriptions of discipleship that I've ever heard. I mean, if I want to create a movement, if I want to create, you know, a Jesus movement, then that requires that I follow and that I teach others how to follow as well. Jesus continues, come follow me and I will make you. The promise is that as they followed him, he will transform them. I will make you. He does not offer them like a plan to transform themselves. He does not give them books like self-help books. He doesn't say, you know, you're going to learn wonderful things. He doesn't say that this is like a really neat way to travel around and see the world. All he promises that is as they spend time with them, he will transform them. Three thoughts for you on the transformation process. These are good. You should write these down. First of all, you have to be willing to receive. There is a poem by Doreen Kostynuik, K-O-S-T-Y-N-U-I-K. I I, I think she's actually in in MD circles. I don't know if any of you know her. Um, She wrote this poem, Follow Jesus Around the Scriptures. And actually, you know what? Let me read this to you. Just close your eyes for a moment while I read this poem to you. 
follow Jesus around the scriptures. Be an observer. Watch how he looks. Watch how he touches. Watch how he is present to people. Watch how he prays and takes time out. Let him look at you. Let him touch you. Let him hold you. Let him heal you. Let him be present with you. Then, become the look, become the touch, become the presence. Okay, you know the answer. Great poem. Great poem that describes discipleship and, and what it means to be a disciple. Most of us love the first paragraph. Watch Jesus as he does things. Cool, I'm all in. Most of us love the third paragraph. Okay, I'm going to do things. Second paragraph, really weird and uncomfortable. Most of us would love to skip that second paragraph. Let him look at you. Let him touch you. Let him hold you. Let him heal you. Let him be present to you. Years ago, we were doing some prayer ministry. This was back in my, my bachelor days. And uh, there were a couple of us uh, kind of gathered around the, the dining room table and we're praying for one another, and it's my turn in the spotlight, and so they pray over me, and I've got sin and suffering that needed to be dealt with because I'm human, and the garbage, you know, it builds up if you don't take it out every so often. Uh, and so we went through that and, and, you know, kind of a good prayer time. But, but a after that, kind of at the edge of that prayer time, as, as they were praying for that, the image that I had was of Jesus looking at me. And I actually don't remember his whole face. It was almost just kind of like, more like the eyes, like he was like wearing a ski mask or something like that. But it was, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It, it, was, it, it was uncomfortable to, because like when I would close my eyes, like that, that was kind of the, the, the picture I would have. It was, it was very powerful. It was almost overwhelming, like it broke me. It, like it, was, it wasn't judgmental at all. But, I mean, it's like it just went to the core of your being and just messed you up, but, like, in good ways. Like, I don't even know how to describe it other than just say that it was really powerful. Just the eyes. I, yeah. It's amazing. We want to see Jesus do, and then we want to go do it, and we miss the crucial step of receiving it. For lots of people, we just want to jump right into third paragraph, Right? But folks, my prayer is that for all of us is that paragraph two happens. I don't want you to just read about Jesus and, and then go try to do it. I want everyone to experience that look, to experience Jesus. Okay, that's the first thought. You have to be willing to receive. Second thought on just the transformation process. The mountaintops are fun, but the valleys are where we really grow close. Um, the young believer craves the mountaintops, but the mature believer looks back with a grateful heart to the valleys. I love mountaintop experiences. I think they're great. If I could just like program one in every Sunday, I would. Um, hopefully you've all had them. It's, you know, a great worship experience. You go to camp, you go on a missions trip, you 
go to a conference. I love a good conference. Uh, you listen to a great podcast. It energizes you and encourages you. Um, it's it's awesome. I, I could we I wish we could do more of those. But when you listen to the stories of the mature Christians and you listen to how they walk close with Jesus and how they love him dearly, if you listen to those stories, if, if you have a chance to ask questions, hear it in detail, more often than not, they will reference the valleys and not the mountain tops. Some valleys are caused by sin and the fallen state of man and, the, and, and Satan and death in this world, and God did not cause them. He is willing to walk alongside us in them. But at the same time, I firmly believe that God is so desperate to get close to us that if he has to, he will guide us into a valley himself. Because he is so desperate for meaningful relationships. And I think we see that especially in the Old Testament time and time again. And every leader that you look at in Scripture that God wants to use, first he runs through a desert. To this day, the song Come Away by Jesus Culture is very significant for me. Like, it just, woof, worked me over. Um, And that's because at one point in time, I was in a valley. And I heard this song. It's one of those songs where it's worded like Jesus is talking to you. The words are, come away with me. Come away with me. It's never too late. It's not too late for you. I have a plan for you. It's going to be wild. It's going to be great. And it's going to be full of me. Come away with me. Months later, we moved here. My love for Jesus wasn't because Jesus made the valley go away. My love for Jesus grew because he walked through the valley with me. Third thought on being transformed. Got to be willing to receive the valleys. That's where we grow close. But third, God's forte is the underqualified. In missions, we would often use this phrase that God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. Great phrase. So many times I would have to have some conversation with someone where they're, you know, be like, um, I think God is really calling me into missions, but I feel so underqualified. Yes, yes, you are underqualified. Um, but aren't, aren't missionaries supposed to be super Christians? No, that's a stupid idea. I don't know why you're thinking that. Um, like, like, let that go, right? Like, most missionaries are just ordinary people. They're just doing life. Interne- I mean, maybe they're more surrendered. But, like, that's available for all of us, okay? I don't even know how many times I I, I had to have that conversation with someone. And yet, and yet, God had to have that conversation with me, like, literally within this last week. Um, Many of you know that, that we're taking some time to pray through this idea of multiply churches and what does that mean and what does that mean regionally. And we're just going to take a year to just pray and listen and research and learn and and really, like, is God asking us to, to kind of reinvigorate the, the station church, um, you know, that, that this church was, was built on? I mean, is, is God asking us to pursue not just Henderson, but, but rural Nebraska with the gospel of Jesus Christ? So anyways, um, there's a, a podcast, uh, Small Town, Big Church, uh, that I've been listening to. O- others have listened to. It's really neat. Guys out of Flandreau, South Dakota, they're a small rural church. 
intentionally using multi-site to pursue other uh, rural communities. And um, so yeah, there's just been some helpful stuff in that. So the other day, for the fun of it, I write the guy a message on Facebook, hey, appreciate it, blah, 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 blah. In the next podcast, for like well over five minutes, he responds to this message that I sent him with incredible encouragement. It's episode 100 if you want to listen to it, because I, th I think there's stuff in there for all of us. But, but in my message, I, ha you know, I said we're, we're kind of wrestling with this, and I included this phrase. I said, while there are a thousand reasons why we are not qualified, I am driven by this idea that rural Nebraska desperately needs the gospel, and if not us, then who? And he, and he responds. I, I kind of, he's wordy, so I, I kind of worded, chopped it down a little bit, but, but these are all his words. He goes, there are a thousand reasons why none of us are qualified. None of us are qualified to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in his church. But he chooses to use us anyway. Don't get hung up on the reasons why you don't think you're not qualified and start believing God that he wants to reach rural Nebraska with the gospel and that he's just looking for some leaders who are willing to step up and say, we're going to be that church that has an impact far beyond one community. Folks, no one's qualified. Like, no one is qualified to receive the gospel. No one is qualified to preach the gospel. No one is qualified to experience the gospel. No one is qualified to share the gospel. No one. I'm not qualified. You're not qualified. But we are called. And God shouts to us from Scripture, Come follow me. I will make you. God, in his miraculous wisdom, power, generosity, enlists our help. Frankly, to me, that seems like a bad idea. But that's the plan that he's gone with. And he has said that he will back it with all the resources of the kingdom of God. To use you and I. I know, it's a little bit wonky. But it was his idea, and he said he'll back it. John's words were very encouraging to me, but honestly, at the same time, the Spirit could have just scolded me with the exact same words, as if to say, like, where is your faith, man? Like, read a Bible story. Any of them. Like, read a Bible story. This is what I do all the time, and you should know that by now. God specializes in the underqualified of us are perfect candidates. Own up to it and then get over it. God specializes in the underqualified. Jesus concludes this phrase, uh, I will make you fishers of men. Um, it's an analogy. They were fishermen. He calls them fishers of men. It's an analogy that they understand. It's very contextual. Works great. The thing I would just point out is that the goal is people, right? People are what matter to God. Every person that you have ever met will live for eternity. You have never met a mortal person. The only question is, do they live that eternity with God or apart from him? Every person you've met will live forever. 
Our vision statement, grow disciples, multiply churches who glorify God and transform communities. What does it look like to grow disciples in rural Nebraska? What does it look like to multiply churches in rural Nebraska? What does it look like to pursue rural Nebraska with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, Mark said, opening line of this gospel, the beginning, really great news, Jesus, who, by the way, was appointed as Christ, as the king, as the deliverer. Oh, and on top of that, he's also the son of God. That message is crucial, and everybody needs a chance to hear it. When, when we leave church and drive home and head off to our respective places and we're passing people on the road and, and whatever, we should get frustrated and angered at the thought that so many people haven't yet heard, that so many people don't yet care, and that they don't yet understand the significance of that one opening line in the book of Mark. Because God deserves his glory and people deserve their opportunity. Follow Jesus. Follow him around the scriptures. Let him look at you. Let him touch you. Let him hold you. Let him heal you. Let him be present to you. Enjoy the mountaintop, but do not scorn those valleys. And have a little faith that being underqualified makes you the perfect candidate. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth. God, we thank you that you shout at us from Scripture, Come follow, and I will make you. Because people matter to me. Lord, this morning, we just, we open up our lives to you. Maybe for the first time, or maybe it's just some corner closet that hasn't yet been opened up to you. God, we want to, we want to follow you. We want to experience you. We want to be transformed in the process, Lord. God, you deserve the glory, and people deserve the opportunity. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Please stand with this in our response to be a surrendered people to him.
Lord, we love you. Be everything to us. God, we want to uh, give you glory. Everything. We praise you. You are dismissed. questions or want to pray with Brad. Also, if you'd be interested in, in helping out uh, with Jessica's family, Dodd is here. They're going to meet in a side classroom, uh, particularly uh, helping out with some kids and that kind of thing. So, thank you. So let the glory